Hello, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk. I'm one of the co-hosts, Van Gaten, along with Dennis Golfin. And uh, we also have a, a truncated expression of our panel today, where we have Lois with us and Lou Gosleth with us. And a couple of our folks are away busy today, but we have enough for what we're going to be talking about. We have all, we have the senior staff here today, the senior staff, <laughs> partners, not, not, other than you, Lois, you're, you just, you're, <laughs> leave you out of that thought. But um, mm -hmm. our program is called Straight Talk, and that is because, um, you know, there's a lot of crooked talk going on, mm -hmm. and our goal is to, we want to, we want to speak what thus saith the Lord. What does God's word say? Uh, what is our interpretation? I know that our interpretation plays a big role in, in what we think God is saying from his word. But also, uh, uh, our goal in this panel is about reconciliation. So we discuss real issues. Uh, we Real issues we want to discuss. At the same time, we believe iron sharpens iron and that no one person or ethnicity has all of the truth, that we together are the body. Where Paul says, know ye not, ye are the temple, that ye is second person plural, or southern, he would say, y'all's the temple, y'all's the temple. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, we're going to be sharing about the um, prophecy in the present presidential elections and how that's going and but before we get started uh i'm gonna allow dennis to jump in and maybe uh say say a few words to us uh thank you van um welcome to our show for the day we also want to welcome all of our facebook uh viewers who are online and those on youtube who are watching us today van suggested we've got an exciting show going on today and our panel is ready to dive right into the subject matter. Uh, we have to have um, um, Sterling join us also. So with Lou and Lewis, uh, we're going to dive into this issue and uh, see where we at with what's going on, not just in the political scene, but also in the church scene. It is a shame, I think, that we're in such a divided nation right now and truth facing us right in the face that we're not only divided in politics, but we also are divided in our church structure. Um, and so we see uh, churches setting up their advantages on each side. I'm gonna turn it back to you, Van. Okay, well, um, you know, we all know that today we're talking about uh, the gift of uh, or prophecy in light of our presidential elections. And uh, I, I guess I can begin just one quick thought and then we can go off several. And by the way, welcome Sterling lands into the show today, my brother from another mother. And, uh, but I wanted to say that as we begin, that one of the thoughts that uh, I want to deal with quickly in light of laying a platform here is that, you know, I hear the discussion within the church because I'm not, I'm not, you know, politically, I'm not pro-Republican, pro-Democrat, whatever. I'm pro-kingdom of God, influencing both Democrats and Republicans, speaking truth to power for the glory of God. So there's only one savior, his name is Jesus. Uh, so however, establishing that, I hear a lot of the argument taking place around the election that um, they wanna return, make sure that we've drifted off from our 
mores and we've gone very liberal and we've become immoral and we allow this. I mean, we want to get back to our roots. And so there's a thought that I think that needs to be clarified. What we claim America uh, is a Christian nation. Now, to me, that is totally inaccurate because nothing about the way this nation got started makes it a Christian nation. However, I hasten to say, I believe that America has Christians in it, but do I believe that America is Christian? I mean, even, even before the Constitution, uh, before the Declaration of Independence, uh, the Virginia Assembly, 120 years before we ever got our declaration, they had already declared racism within the church because these were by church members who established that uh, if you had African slave people come over here, uh, uh, you could baptize them as long as they also understood that their baptism gave them a spiritual liberation, but they're still bound to their labor of slavery to their owners. And so my point being is that, that there's, this, there's this myth, I think, about America. You know, yes, we had some people come over like Massachusetts with a few uh, Puritans and they made establishment, but even Jonathan Edwards had slaves. And so from, from a Afrocentric position, we have a hard time accepting that, that God, colonialization of America was first of all God's will because there was already Indians here and uh, this was their native land and we were dragged over here and nothing was godly about us coming here or being kept here. And so I find it hard in my mind to determine how one can claim Christianity as the base in light of your works were so anti-Christ against those who also are part of the Imago Dei. But uh, not to get sidetracked here is to understand that, that if you, they're arguing that we've drifted from our social mores and we gotta bring it back, we gotta bring it back. So the election is about that. And by the way, therefore here comes, you know, we have the, um, we have in the, in the 70s, we have Bob Jones University that was against interracial dating, uh, blacks going to their school and they took it to court and they, they were gonna lose their tax exempt status. And as a result of that, uh, we had our evangelical moral majority developed and uh, all these kind of things happened to fight against the, 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 the a government encroaching against the church and etc. And then the evangelists got involved. And then later on, the Pentecostals got involved. And then when the Pentecostals finally get involved on the social issues, we understand that that's when the prophecies start flowing <laughs> because they don't, you know, most evangelicals are sensationists. So it wasn't them. It was Pentecostals. And so Pat Robinson, I'll just start with this and I'll stop. Pat Robinson was not alone in seeing another victory for president in 2020. Most public prophecies, including those by Johnson, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, sided with Trump, sometimes mentioning a disputed election. So the vast majority of the prophecies that have come out in this time frame have been by Pentecostals who believe that God was saying to them that Trump was going to win the next election. And I'll just stop right there and let everybody share what they want to share about that. Uh, Lois, you want to get started for us? You're muted. Yeah. You're, uh -huh. I, well, I think it's important to cite uh, who you were just reading from. Um, 
the article by um, Craig Keener in Christianity Today mm-hmm. uh, called um, When Political Prophecies Don't Come to Pass, and that was published on November 11th. Um, and Craig, of course, is a Pentecostal, raised up uh, and came through the um, Assemblies of God, was uh, uh, is an alum of our institutions here in Springfield. So um, I thought his article was uh, very, very straightforward and clear. He, he both showed um, the, the tentative nature, the conditional nature of prophecy, um, like when Jonah is, is sent to prophesy to Nineveh. Uh, God has a message, there is a prophecy, but the condition is, you know, if, if Nineveh repents, then what Jonah prophesied would not come true and did not come true, right? So that didn't make Jonah a false prophet, but there was a condition there. Um, but I think uh, another item that he says um, in the article is very good. Mistakes in prophecy do not make everyone who's mistaken a false prophet any more than mistakes in teaching make everyone who's mistaken a false teacher. I've been teaching for a long time and, and there are things that I said probably 20 years ago that I wouldn't say today, you know, I, I uh, and so, you know, that doesn't make me a false teacher as a person, but I have to acknowledge and be humble enough to say, you know what, what I said back there, I wouldn't say that again. And I changed my mind. Um, what I think the, when the problem, there are several problems with these prophecies, but uh, one being um, the way that they interfere with our sense of uh, democracy and um, orderly processing, uh, going through the process of an election, um, and the uh, you know the anxiety that comes throwing you know throwing a word from the Lord uh, into the picture uh, when you know, we as citizens are going and voting and uh, having a result. So, you know, immediately when the result doesn't happen according to the prophecy, the question is, oh, well, you know, was Pat Robertson a false prophet? Um, of course, he, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. I don't know if he, you know, we want to get into formulas, but uh, he sure said a lot of stuff that, that, um, you know, sets the whole thing up, you know, and Trump's definitely going to win and he's going to have, uh, you know, two um, uh, attempts on his life and we're going to have this unrest and all these things. And people swallow that sort of thing. Um, a lot of people swallow that sort of thing. And I think we need, just like we've been talking about in in our race relations, we need a lot more humility in our actions, in our speech, in our the way that we are operating with one another. Um, we we need that in our uh, racial interactions. We need it uh, when men and women. We've talked about uh, gender issues here too. We need humility in our relationships with one another as men and women. We need humility between Christians who are Democrats and Christians who are Republicans. You know, there's a lot of um, harshness and pride and arrogance and things that are being thrown around that do nothing 
for moving us forward as a uh, loving society, but, and, but do a lot, I think, a lot of damage to people who don't know the Lord yet and are looking on to the church going, those people are wacko. You know, some of the things we've seen this week were just wacko, you know, and if I wasn't a Christian, I don't know if I'd want to be a Christian, you know, like, like looking on and, and watching these things and looking on and watching Christians, you know, fighting each other about politics. And it's so distracting from, we, we have to engage, we have to be involved in the political realm as believers, as Americans. But we have to do so, I think, with, with a lot more humility, a lot more um, care and um, graciousness and prayerfulness and, um, and do our best that our testimony it does not keep people away from Christ, from Christianity, from the church. Yes, excellent, Lois. Excellent. Yes, you're absolutely right. And uh, that's the whole thing is that, uh, we, we, you know, our witness as a church for Christ, the Lord himself, you know, that should be our main concern that we have, we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of heaven and earth, but we're just passing through the earth. This is not our home. And we're here to be a light and to make a difference when it's possible, but a loving difference and a bold difference and certainly to honor the name of the Lord and make his name great in the midst of whatever is going on planet earth. Who else would like to jump in on these thoughts? There are two things that are on my heart in this matter. One is justice. We've been asking God for justice in the realm of the racial thing. And I, I think we really need to keep praying that there will be justice even in this election thing. Until it's certified, it's really not over. So if there's something behind everything, we need to know it. If there isn't, we need to know it. Because I think everyone in the body should be committed to truth. Lord, what is the truth? What is your heart? When it comes to the prophetic, uh, and, and I have listened to many of them, uh, from all walks of life, and it does seem they've all said basically the same thing. Now, either they were wrong, and if they're wrong, trust there will be enough humility to admit that, or we haven't seen the end of the story yet, because ultimately, God's the one that's going to decide for us, right? I mean, he, he, if he spoke, then he's going to make it happen, if we fulfill the conditions, as Lois said. And if he didn't speak, then wow, we need to know that too and learn from it and not make that mistake again. Yes, yes. By God's grace. And you know, uh, Craig Keener, who is my friend as well, I got to sit with him at the last Society of Pentecostal Studies in, in Maryland when we were up there, Lois. Um, uh, in his article, he notes that there was, there is a, there's a guy named Ron Cantor Ron Cantor is a messianic leader based in Israel. He said twice, he, he heard twice from the Lord that Biden was going to win because of the church's idolization of Trump. So you got, you got Christians who believe they heard from God that Trump was going to win. And now you got a messianic Jew, a leader, 
from Israel saying that God said, no, uh, Biden's going to win because um, in America, Christians have taken too far an idolization of Trump. And I guess the most disheartening thing to me is I've heard more zeal from Christians uh, to take sides in the politics than they've had zeal to share the gospel, which is the answer to all yeah. human beings is to share Christ in his kingdom. I think the church is sidetracked that in history, now this I believe is a fact, uh, and you can correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, Sterling, but in history, every time the church gets in bed with the state in politics, something goes wrong in history. The church does becomes uh, contaminated and losing it loses its zeal and its strength and its witness just like in the Roman Empire when when Constantine and the church got together in Rome I mean everything went haywire from there and Charlemagne the same way and uh, so in America it's like the so, so many church people seem to be put more confidence and trust in the politics of America than the kingdom of God What do you think, Darlene? certainly saw that in in Jewish history, Jewish Christian history yes. th throughout uh, the last 2000 years. Uh, you know, Christian, the Christian Roman Empire, as I've said before here on this show, was not good for the Jews. You know, uh, expulsions took place under that empire and uh, pogroms and um attacks on synagogues and the Talmud and burnings and all kinds of things. And, um, it, you know, um, another thing that, that he um, said, that, that Cantor said in that article, he said, you know, he, he was uh, said that he felt the Lord had told him that Biden would win because of the church's idolization of Trump. But he also said that even if a miracle happens and Trump is reelected, the warning remains the same, the warning about idolizing an individual. And um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, was, was it, wasn't it in Daniel where they said, uh, we, we believe the Lord will, will rescue us, but even if he doesn't. I will not bow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, love that. I love that text. Yeah, yes, you know, uh, kind of like leaving room there for, you know, this is my faith. This is what I think I see. And that goes mm -hmm. back to the humility again. This is what I think I'm seeing. But, you know, we are all just humans. We are all very prone to weaknesses and failures and uh, misreadings. And that's why I appreciated um, the pastor of Bethel making an apology about the prophecy that he gave and that that mm -hmm. takes a lot of humility as well and that's good leadership as well to go back and say you know what i was wrong i thought i saw this this way but i apologize to you as a leader and that takes a lot to be able to say that yes uh, i was reading um a work done by uh greg boyd uh in a book that's called a myth of a Christian nation. Yes. And um, uh, if I, let me just share a couple of words. And he says that some people insist that the only reason that neither Jesus nor anyone else in the first several centuries of the church tried to dominate the political system of their day was because 
they were a small minority of people living in a non-democratic and hostile environment. By contrast, the argument goes, American Christians are a sizable group living in a rather friendly democratic land, and we're able to at least improve, if not someday, dominate our government and culture. And since to whom much is given, much is required, <laughs> do we not have a spiritual and moral obligation to use this opportunity to the full advantage of the kingdom of God? Now, that sounds like a very good uh, discussion, philosophically at least. But he goes on to say that in this light, the argument concludes to shirk the opportunity to rule because we are afraid of compromising our kingdom calling <clears throat> is irresponsible, pharisaical, and cowardly. The argument seems to make so much sense then. The church during the time of Constantine, looking back now, explained away the self-sacrificial love and humility of Jesus and the early church in just the same fashion. Instead of constituting the essence of the kingdom of God, the self-sacrificial and humble example of Jesus and the early church was understood to be merely a provisional inconvenience. Now that God has supposedly given the church power to rule, they reason, it just made sense to use it. For they being the people who knew the truth, obviously knew best how to rule others. Yet what did this line of reasoning accomplish? And this gets back to your point earlier, Brother Van. It produced centuries of barbaric bloodshed in the name of Jesus. And beyond the tragedy of millions of people being brutally murdered, the fact that this was done under the banner of the cross has harmed global missions for centuries. And the church lost its power along the way. Now, and of course, it's a good read. So if you, if you have it, you might want to take a look at it. But I've read that because to me, it makes this point. Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men or all mankind to me. So, so that's that's a, uh, a a mantra that we that we carry forward. But when you start to to raise up the kingdom of man, in effect, you're putting down the kingdom of God. And America mm -hmm. has has now and and is guilty of promoting and lifting up the kingdom of man. And eventually we're gonna to have to face the consequences of those pagan choices. Mm. Mm. So th this thing about the prophecy, I paid no attention to it at all because you had a bunch of, of, of folk who didn't know they didn't know, talking about things they didn't know that they didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Now that's that sounds good. like a profundity to me yeah. there. Uh, 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 that bears repeating. <laughs> Yes. But let me, let me make a point here, Van. I think that, um, and Sterling's point was good. All your points is good, but I also want to go back to what you started off with about this being a Christian nation itself. And I think we have to face the, the point that throughout church history, there's always been a dominant culture in church history. And that dominant culture has always set the tone for what has been going on 
in our Western society, it, it was the uh, Western church that dominated in terms of its Latin culture and things that were involved in. In, in the early centuries, Rome was the superpower. And one of the things we get from looking at church history is this pride in its superpower position of the glory of Rome. The glory of Rome went off quite a bit. And the church picked up on that when, of course, it began to, to blend government with uh, the church's role. And uh, Sterling sort of alluded to it. Um, there, there is a statement that the persecuted church later became the persecuting church. And so anybody that did not agree with the church was, was then uh, either hanged, burned at the stake, heads chopped off, simply because you didn't agree with the position. That era was called Christendom, when, when the church actually ruled society. So we have then coming to America, this viewpoint that evangelicals or that white Caucasian Christians sort of have this viewpoint of superiority in our society. And so their view of European Christianity has this viewpoint of the fact that they know best and, um, and, and so forth. And then this charismatic idea of now the word of the Lord is everywhere. I'm sorry. I, I've been saying for a long time. I've just never seen God talk so much as he talks today. Uh, I mean, everybody's got to make a voice and everybody's hearing from God. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's like, wow, you know, and I, I think my studies have seen when God talked a lot, he's usually talking judgment and he's usually trying to warn us that something's getting ready to happen. But we get a lot of talk about blessings today and about things being great and, and good. And even though a lot of these guys have missed the point on a specific issue, I read the Christianity Today article also among others and I watched all of these, I watched a lot of um, uh, YouTube videos of, of a lot of these guys giving all these prophecies. And I, and I caught attention about a month ago, what, what really intrigued me was, I, I, I mentioned to somebody, I said, you know, there's a lot of prophecies about Trump, but I haven't seen any prophecies about Biden. I wonder why this is one-sided and, um, and things that were going on. But also I think we, we have to get to the point, and Lewis mentioned conditional prophecy. And there is a point of conditional prophecy in the Old Testament. We see that with Jonah with others. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel seems to be very hard on prophets and the idea of false prophets that now Moses was too. He mentioned that if a prophet doesn't speak the word that comes to pass, it's probably a false prophet. But Jeremiah, because of his day, listen to this. There were people going into the temple who were standing out there soothsaying and giving prophecies to people going into the temple. So that's, that's the whole contents of Jeremiah 23. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, but yet they prophesied. So this idea of of prophecies being sold and uh, people getting money for it is not new. It happened in the Old Testament in, mm -hmm. in the temple days. So we see the same thing happening today with people sharing and merchandising the anointed. That's right. Very and, good. And we also see this, the same kind of reproof in, in Ezekiel 13. And right. uh, I was thinking about what you're saying about the, the church being in charge and I think I think there's a sense that um, there's some sense of validation of the church when um, you know Christianity is right because look how big we are. Christianity is right because we're in charge, right? 
But that, that goes against the very words of Jesus. How did Jesus say the world will know we are his disciples? Did he say the world will know you're my disciples once you're in charge? Mm-hmm. Did he say the world will know you're my disciples once uh, the politics are going your way? Did he say the world will know you're my disciples because you're big enough? No. He said the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for each other. Oh, that's right. And not just love for one another as the church, but love, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another and you know every it seems like every time the church gets big enough to be in charge the one thing that's missing is love along with you know the other fruit of the spirit but mm-hmm. you know ezekiel says uh ezekiel 13 14 and the word of the lord came unto me saying son of man prophesy against the prophets of israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts <laughs> hear ye the word of the Lord thus saith the Lord God now it's interesting that God is having Ezekiel prophesy use prophecy to to straighten prophecy <laughs> you know so we're not talking against prophecy here you know we're talking against are we speaking out of our own hearts when we prophesy you know even Paul occasionally says uh, I not the Lord <laughs> doesn't he yeah i mean even the guy that wrote most of the new testament is has a little edge of you know this is me here i think this is me and yet it's in the whole canon of scripture that we take to be god's word right Mm. um he says your prophets are like the foxes in the desert you've not gone gone up into the gaps neither made the hedge for the house of israel to stand in the battle in the day of the lord they have seen vanity and lying divination saying the Lord says and the Lord has not sent them and they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word and this is another danger making others to hope right and what happens when you know you lead you're not just led astray yourself but you're leading other people astray by your words Mm -hmm. you know I'm interested to hear from from you as pastors and and bishops and leaders in a church setting. How has this impacted your your church folks? Uh, You know, have any of them did any of them kind of hope in it or go with it or uh, were any of them disappointed by it? And Mm -hmm. well, I'd like to speak to that uh, first. And and there is a binary answer to that question, and that is no, Um, because we don't, we we never raise that up as discussion items. I I think that it is a cannon fodder that the enemy uses us to keep our eyes off of the main thing. We we no longer make the main thing the main thing. You know, we, we got a lot of problems in this country, but they will not be solved politically. And as long as we continue to try and use a political a methodology or modality, um, uh, modality. modality to get it done, then um, we're going to continue to be in the same uh, destructive s- circle. It's just going round and round, and it becomes a, a succession of circles, which gives us what I call a, uh, a cycle of, of never ending negatives. So, no, we, we were not hoping or, or anything, because the reality is that. 
uh, uh, Biden is no better than Trump and Trump is no better than Biden and neither one of them are any worse than the other. The, the answer is not in man. The answer is not in the political party. The answer is not in the political nature uh, of this whole thing. It's, it's, if you try to find the, the answer to the human problem in mankind, you're lifting up the wrong individual. Well, and, and, yet, and yet people still need to vote. They still need to engage as Americans in the political process. So Absolutely, but we should do it from the perspective of who God is as opposed to who the person is. That means that we will start to vote according to those things which line up with what God said. I, look, half of the people that we now know in, in the Congress wouldn't be there if America was really a Christian nation because we'd be voting according to what God says as opposed to what they say. Well, you know, I think it's interesting also well, first of all, let me, before I read the scripture, let me just say this. Uh, well, I'll read the scripture first. In Jeremiah 23, I love this scripture where he says, uh, uh, he says in verse 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Yes. He and to hear his word. Uh, who has paid attention to his word and obeyed? In other words, the, prof the, prophet the prophets of the Old Testament experienced what we call a prophetic experience in that they were caught up into the very presence of Almighty God, the throne room of God. And while they were there in the spirit in the throne room, they actually saw God sitting on his throne and they heard from God. But the word of the Lord actually morphed them into the being that the word was calling for. Then they could come out of the presence of God into the presence of men. And when they said, thus saith the Lord, they really heard God say it. Yes. And so this is one of the, that to me, that's one of the highest points is that if you're not caught up to really hear God, you know, uh, Isaiah, when, I, when Uzzah died, they were depending a little bit on Uzzah in the king of Israel after many years of success and peace. And then this sense of angst when he died, but then he saw the Lord. And in America, we need to see the Lord. Now, now here's, here's another side, the reason I bring that up. Uh, Jim Baker, I heard Jim Baker on his show, because he and I are on the same station, Impact Network, and uh, he said, if you don't vote for Trump, I doubt whether you are a Christian or not, and I'll tell you, I sent word that if you want to really talk about this, I'll come on your show, and we can talk about this, because how in the world have you truncated my experience in God to whether or not I vote for Trump? I mean, please give me a break. Don't tell me I need to be on his side in order to be a Christian. I thought I had to be on the Lord's side to be a Christian. And then secondly, Paula White. God bless oh, her. Boy. She's, oh, boy. <laughs> Paula White, she's my sister. But, you know, uh, you can, you, everybody can get off. And some get off even further than others. And uh, next thing I know, she's on, tele on television, YouTube, et cetera speaking in tongues and calling angels from Africa and angels from South America. And my point is, I thought, number one, I thought angels were in heaven last time I checked. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe the angels from Africa were blacks voting for, she was calling blacks to vote for Trump and Latinos to vote for, for Trump. It was a dog whistle. I don't know, a spiritual <laughs> dog whistle. But the point being is that 
it was it was such problems with that. And I think we, our own implicit bias can get mixed up with the word of the Lord instead of really standing in his presence where Jeremiah, he said, if you stood in the council of God, your bias will be dealt with. Yeah. You cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, hear his word, see his being, and come out with a biased, prejudiced word from God. You can't do that. You'll come out with the word of the Lord who rules and reigns over everybody and everything. Uh, Joshua, when he saw the angel, he says, whose side are you on? And the Lord said, I'm not on anybody's side. I've come to take over. I've come to take over. And so our allegiance has to be to God. And, 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 and my last thought too, is that um, if, when we, when we prophesy out of our own imagination, out of our own heart's desire, okay. And it doesn't happen. Like we said, there is a point where we dishonor the Lord. We can dishonor the Lord by speaking out of our own imagination, own desires, when our greatest desire as the church is a liturgical power. Yeah, we can vote, etc. But ours is a liturgical power. We stand before the presence of God, and we hear God, and we go out. And our narrative is not Democratic or Republican. Our main narrative is the gospel. It's the word of the Lord. And that, and like you said, Lois, We've got to be loving. I mean, if the church, if 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 America had a Christian beginning, then where was the love of God from whites, from coming from white church for blacks? Where was the love of God? It right. wasn't there. You can't rape. You can't rape African women. You can't sell families or beat people, kill them, hang them, uh, and, and relegate them to second class citizenship. And tell me that you are born of God with no hatred in your heart. You're going to heaven. No, you can't do that. And so we've got to we've got to have a true witness and a remnant, if it must be, that will stand up in the midst of everything and say, "Listen, I, I tried to tell a brother the other day. Get off the Democrat Republic. Tell me." What, from God's perspective, what does he say about the world? What does he say about his love for humanity? I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear Trump against Biden. I don't, I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me the higher calling, the transcendent narrative that comes from God to humanity. That's mm-hmm. what I want to hear. Wow. Yeah. So I just like to differentiate between Christendom, which I call religion, Yes. And the ecclesia or the kingdom of God. I, because religion and Christendom has gone off about every time, as, as you guys have all shared. Um, because love is the bottom line. I mean, if like Lois, you said, if, if we don't exhibit love in every, in every realm and to all of humanity, we're missing it. And so to me, that's the kingdom. And yet you have religion, which you see all kinds of garbage going on, and it's not God. So, yes, I, I think also when we when we start dealing with the ideal and the practical, and I, I I agree that the whole point of Christianity in John thirteen thirty four and thirty five, which is the evidence of true Christianity, he said, "A new commandment I give you that you love one another." And he says in verse 35, by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That becomes the idealistic Mm -hmm. definition of Christianity that we show this 
uh, unselfish, non-reciprocal love for, for each other. But in practicality, um, we, have, we have a bias, a bias of loving those who agree with us and um, kind of uh, disagreeing with those who don't agree with us. And so now we have this, this war going on uh, within the church is creating uh, one of the devil's most famous uh, weapons, and that is division from within. If he can't destroy us from without, he can sure erode us from within. And I think that's what we're seeing in terms of where the church effectiveness is. We're, we're coming fighting among each other rather than pushing our attention toward driving out the works of Satan. And Paul warned us to be aware of the fiery dots of the devil. And I think that's where we've got to focus as we pray for those fiery dots that's just coming in and eating away at erosion of what we're doing in the church. It's almost like with the uh, uh, city of Troy, they could not beat Troy on the outside, but they were able to put something on the inside, the Trojan horse, that eroded it from within. And I believe that the church is strong externally, but I think we're becoming weak internally because of all these voices and all the confusion that's eroded. I mean, prayers going forth, spiritual gifts are going forth. We, we see evangelism going forth all over the world. I'm talking to, uh, to, to leaders in different parts of the world. This week, I was on with a couple leaders in Egypt and then a few uh, leaders in Ethiopia. And then I'm seeing the persecution that's going on. And uh, I, I think that what we see is that the Holy Spirit is moving. But I think there's a strong erosion of internal fighting that's causing us to be weak. Because if we're weak internally, we're not going to be effective externally. I would, I'd, I'd like to address uh, an amen to that. I'd like to address um, a point that uh, Lois, Lois made. Um, uh, it was quick, but it was a great point. And it has to do with uh, our obligation or our responsibility or our duty to a vote uh, in, a, in a democratic country. Um, and and I, I fully support that. I think, however, we should vote uh, based on um, what we believe uh, is doctrinally sound. And I believe that uh, every Christian should, um, should have a word to say by voting that we want this type of an individual with this type of integrity and character and not this type of individual. Now, in order to do that, we must be trying to advance the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of men. But unfortunately, we live in a um, society where marketing and sales uh, is really rule, it rules the day. So we are programmed to think we're doing right um, when in reality, we're doing something that is totally counter to what God says. There's no, there's no um, biblical support for ever supporting anything that is ungodly. And so when Paul talks about, um, talks to Timothy in um, uh, 1 Timothy 4, uh, when he says, train yourself uh, in godliness, uh, and then he talks about how it prepares you and it, and it basically deals with all issues of your life. And then later on, he says, um, uh, in, in that sixth chapter, he says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, we, we've, we've not been able to realize the great gain 
yet because we don't pursue godliness. And if you're at the voting, voting booth and you're not pursuing godliness, then whatever you're doing is not going to bring the great gain. It has nothing to do with prophesying who's going to be the president. I mean, who cares? If God is in control, then you could have a, a child who could perhaps do a much better job than some of the people we've had. Uh, I'm just saying. So I, I just want to go back to your point, Liz. I think that's an excellent point you made. You know, I think I think the problem comes, and, and what I've seen in my own world, you know, with family or friends or our our denominations and social media is that is that you do you have you've got these two sets of Christians who do believe they're going to the polls uh, going to the voting booth and voting according to the word of God according to what is right and they are there's there's a hermeneutic of interpretation whether in their own mind or from a leader that they're listening to that says, this is how I understand scripture and this person aligns with that. So I'm going to vote for this person. And the other group of Christians is saying, this is how I interpret scripture. And this is how this is this person aligns with that. And so I am going to vote for this person. So I think, you know, yes, we need to go as Christians and we need to vote and we need to engage in the political process. But um, I think there are, I think it's hard for Christians in America to accept the both and, you know, I've said, you know, here, here I've had most of my adult life, I've been interested and involved in, in some way in Jewish studies, right? So I've had certain people say, how can you not vote for a person? And I guess I'm giving myself away here, but not vote for a person who's so in support of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. Why would you even think of not voting for somebody who's so in support of Israel? In other words, that Israel part becomes the primary or abortion becomes the primary and other issues on the other side of the democratic spectrum with the other group of Christians is, is, is part of the narrative. And speaking of narrative, we have our news narratives. Mm -hmm. We have our community narratives. And so somehow it, it, I think God is calling us to something bigger and better than these camps and these oh. narratives and yes. these, these uh, you know, perceptions and these hermeneutics that he, he is, he wants us to be the church. He, he wants us to come together and love each other, even though these issues are so important to each group. You know, I, I think of this. Think of this scene from Fiddler on the Roof, where, you know, there's a the group of people is around and they're talking and the one guy says something and, and the, the, you know, the, I think the rabbi, he says, you're right. And somebody else says something and the, he says to him, you're right, too. And somebody says, wait, how can he be right and he be right? And, and I, the rabbi says, you know, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more um sometimes in the both and when we're when we you know we've got tunnel vision and we're only seeing our issue and our cause and we get tunnel vision and we you know we it's what i call the yeah but what about syndrome mm -hmm. you know if i 
if I, I you know, I remember one time I, I taught a, um, a seminar on the new anti-Semitism. It was, as I was telling you earlier, Van, it was my doctoral uh, research. And so I teach the seminar about anti-Semitism and I, somebody comes up to me right after I'm done teaching and says, yeah, but what about the Palestinians? You know, <laughs> as if I didn't care about the Palestinians, right? Mm -hmm. So, but my seminar was about this issue. So it seems like no matter what you say or what you care about or what you post about, somebody's always right there to say, yeah, but what about? And mm. I, think, I think we need a lot more willingness to say, yes, <laughs> both and, yes. Absolutely. You know, somebody the other day posted, you know, don't, don't tell me about children in cages at the border if you're not gonna care about babies being aborted. And I wanna say, Yes, <laughs> yes, we care about all of this. And, and I think as soon as we start shoving people aside and you're not a Christian if you this and you're not a Christian if you that. And I'm, that makes it hard, doesn't it? Because then we sort of have to broaden the tent and sit with next to some people that probably think we're as wacko as we think they're wacko, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and you know what? This is what sin in this world has done to us. A fallen world is like scrambled eggs. It's like, it's so convoluted. It's so complex that there's no one way, you know, to answer it that doesn't include the both and, etc. amongst fallen human beings. And that's why we have to have a transcendent view from God because he's the only one that's not a part of the scrambled eggs. He came to the messed up broken eggs to redeem it and reconcile it. And that's the reason we come together straight talk. Uh, we would have a couple more females involved in this conversation. Uh, a couple of people are sick, but our point is we need to talk these things through and hear from each other uh, because the plausibility structure as it's called in philosophy is, is my ability to hear from you and completely understand your position, even if in the end, it means I still don't agree with you, but I understand and I have empathy for your view. And a lot of times people just want to be heard. Yeah. Just want. And secondly, we can't allow the world to produce the narrative for us, the church. We, the church, are not looking to the news media for our narrative, how we're going to speak on issues. Like I, I brought up to one group uh, about socialism. I said, well, well, let's back up a minute. There are some areas where socialism and Christianity agree, and then there's other areas where socialism and Christianity are totally diametrically opposed to each other. Well, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't hear that. They just like, oh, wait a minute, you're you're a, you're going to be a socialist now. I says you're not listening to me. That if you're going to have some kind of academic intellectual integrity, believe that there's some areas of continuity and some areas of discontinuity. And, and because we're, we're, it's both and, it's both and. And even Lois, I can say this, uh, I talked to black brothers who made a trip to Israel and the, the Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews that come from the North that inhabited Israel, well, they were having trouble immigrating into Israel, the African Jews that came up from Ethiopia and all the other places down there. So you saw the racial discrimination even in Israel. And, and, and somebody said, oh, somebody said to me, oh, you can't speak against them because they're God's people. I said, no, I'm God's people. 
I, excuse my English, I'm God's people. <laughs> you know, it ain't just Jews. I'm, I'm a spiritual Jew. But the point is, amongst all of humanity, you know, there is that fallenness and the church can't fall. After we've been born again, we shouldn't fall again with the rest of the world, but we should be the light of the world, showing the Democrats and Republicans, this is how it's done. This is how it should be. This is the way we should handle even our differences. This is the way. And last of all, depending on your context, where you come from, what you establish as priorities and looking for uh, your person that you're going to vote for may be different than another person who comes from a different angle. But that doesn't make one right and the other one wrong. It's just a different perspective. And, you know, God doesn't have in, in, in the politician's platform uh, like this one's holy and this one's unholy. Well, there's sin in both camps. Believe me, I've seen both of it. I mean, I, I remember I remember sitting with Pat Robinson when I lived in Buffalo, and I know what I heard. And there's just as much sin in the Republican camp as there is in the Democratic camp. It's just a different kind of sin, but it's sin is sin. And as believers, we have what we need to proceed. Yes. You know, we have the mind of Christ, we have the guidance of the spirit, we have the word of God, we have the community of the saints, and Second Peter 1 says, his divine power has granted to us everything mm -hmm. pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who mm -hmm. called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, <clears throat> having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Love. So, so he starts by, it's like a, it's like a, a, a sandwich, like bookends. He says, he's giving you everything you need. He goes through all this and he, the other uh, piece of bread in the sandwich is love. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so. Yeah. I want to make a, one, one point. I know we don't have much time and probably we need to continue this way and probably when we come back at, a, at another time. But Jesus makes this point to the Pharisees. Uh, when they start talking about various aspects of the law, he said, these you should have done, but not to leave the other undone. And I, so I think that while we're coming up with these uh, bullet points that we want to do as what, what right or wrong, yes, just as Lois mentioned, she, she, she wasn't against the Palestinians, but the subject was on the Jews. But doesn't mean you're against something else. And, and as Jesus said, these you should have done and not to have the other undone. And I think we see throughout scripture a bias we see Samuel going to Jesse's house. No, the Lord told him that there's a king in the house, but his bias has already predetermined what the king was going to look like and who he was. And so the Lord had to correct him because of his bias, not even assuming that David would even be a candidate because he had a bias. Same thing happened to, to Jonah. His pride, his reputation was on the line when he prophesied to Nineveh that in 40 days, God was going to destroy him, but it was conditional. They repented and Jonah was upset because his word didn't come to pass. The word of the Lord didn't come through him. So I think some of this pride in some of these ones who don't know the factors of everything that they may have prophesied taking place 
has has got us to the point that maybe it's some of our pride that won't back off on some things because we had some preconceived notions that were not in the plans of God. Now just in with this: for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Yes, saith the Lord. Yeah, and I would say to those who've stated publicly that have publicly prophesied, if whatever they prophesy, and I'm not saying which side is right, I'm just saying if you have publicly prophesied, and and history does not play out the way you prophesied it, you publicly prophesied, you need to publicly apologize, just like our brother from Bethel, which he is, he's he's actually ahead of the ball game because the elections are not certified yet. So he, he, may, he may find out that, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I was right. <laughs> but, you know, but the point is, if you did it publicly, you need to confess it publicly. That, mm-hmm. that becomes the bottom line. And as Lois has stated, she's been our mother of love today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we've got, if we don't love each other, then we're a, we're a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. And nothing else is, is beneficial to us at all if the love of God is not shed abroad in our hearts. And so we thank everybody. Uh, glad that Lou is back with us from Building Homes. He's the carpenter. And uh, so uh, we're just, we're probably going to take a, a, a week off because next week is Thanksgiving and come on uh, the next week. So uh, for all of you during this Thanksgiving season, I wish we could, I wish the panel, I wish we could all get together and have some turkey and stuffing together uh, because I love all of you. And appreciate each one of you because it takes all of us to get God's work done. No, no one of us can do this. It takes all of us, plus the Holy Ghost. And Actually, uh, Thanksgiving's uh, in two weeks. Two weeks, is it? Yeah, yeah. two weeks. Yeah. I'm always off. You know, I'm oh, always a week ahead. Okay. Then again, you're a week ahead. We'll be back uh, next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, next time we won't see each other. It'll be over by then. See. <laughs> but anyhow, whenever I wish we could all come together and and break bread together in fellowship, but uh, let's pray for each other, and let's pray for our nation, because one of the things I noticed that the enemy does take, when, when we're at a place like we are right now with this election, uh, one transitioning period, that's when the enemy sees us as being most vulnerable, and history does prove that, and by the way, I, I meant to throw this in there, sorry, Dennis, but you know, there is one person who is a true prophet in and I can't forget the professor's name, but ever since 1984, he has predicted every, who would win the presidential election every time, and he's never been wrong. So I guess he's a true uh, prophetic uh, professor <laughs> based on his stats. But, or, uh, or he might be an agent of the enemy who's given the power of divination. And Thank you for that. Yeah, and I'm not going to bother you, Sterling, because I know you, you, you Texans that got them pistols down there. So <laughs> he already told us that Texas is his own country. Yeah, it's his own That's country. Country. It's a country. He told us that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, so Lois, Lois, uh, thank you for raising up that first Peter. That, uh, that, that always refreshes me. And I, I was hoping you would go on because we would have gotten to the point where it says the essential essence of God is holiness. Yes. Yes. So I was I was on pins and needles waiting. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, one thing I do like going on about that, he says, and if these qualities are in uh, 
if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you mm -hmm. neither useless nor unfruitful. Very I want right. to be useful. I, I want to be, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> be useful and fruitful. Yes. I mean, Man. I don't think any Christian wakes up in the morning and says, I wonder how I could be useless and unfruitful today. Right? <laughs> you know, but if we leave these qualities out, we're going to be. Yes. Yeah. So we're thankful. I hope the uh, audience, the, our listeners today have been, been uh, uh, somewhat helped. At least they'll have listened to us. Maybe they thought, well, I guess we need to pray for that panel. But either way, it'll bring you to your knees before the Lord Jesus, which we all need to be before him. May we, may we bow to him who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I say to everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one and give us shalom in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Love you all. Take care. Love you. Love you. Yeah. Uh